Welcome back to Ascend Student Ministries Anchored Podcast. Today we're in Colossians chapter 4. It reads, Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha in the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. So as we jump in here to chapter 4 of Colossians, we're actually wrapping up what Paul has been doing here with his letter to them. And in doing so, a big part of this chapter is his final greetings and instructions that are important for us to understand in terms of the descriptive events that were taking place. But I want us to focus our time today really on the further instructions that he gives in this first part of the chapter, specifically verse 6, where it says, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. The way in which we speak to other people, the way in which we relate to those around us, says a lot to them in terms of just our attitude not necessarily even always the content of what we say. What I mean by that is the way in which we speak about different things, especially pertaining to our faith, carries a great importance in these individuals maintaining an interest in learning about what we're doing and not being put off by the way in which we act. When we talk, if we look at verse 5, especially with unbelievers, when we talk with those outside the faith and we display to them the realities that we understand, it's important for us to do that gracefully. It's important for us to let them know that we have compassion for their situation because we were at one point also just like them. When we think about calling people out on sin, exposing to them the realities of their sin, the penalty of their sin, the depths of their sin before the Lord, that's something that is really hard to hear, especially for the first time. Wait, you're telling me that I have a lifetime of things that I've done wrong that sent somebody else to die. Man, that's a big thing. 
So it's important to have tact and grace when we have these conversations, to invest in a relationship with people, to be able to give them the truth that they need to hear that will allow the Spirit to draw them out of their lifestyle of sinfulness, but in a way that does not attack them as individuals and allows them to see the hope that is the gospel. And if we ever get away from displaying that hope in the ways that we speak, if we ever get away from seasoning all we do with grace, it has an ability to build up barriers to the gospel rather than breaking down the bondage of stronghold of sin. So this is a very important reminder for Paul to be giving as he's talked with the church at Colossae and he's written this letter to develop in them an understanding of growing in the unity of the gospel. Because there's undoubtedly still individuals in their midst who are wrestling with the gospel. Some of those that we might have looked at in chapter 3 who were from all different lifestyles and backgrounds who are trying to understand the fullness of the gospel, and it's important for them to maintain an audience with them by being gracious, by being compassionate, by having a genuine love for the betterment of these individuals and displaying that to them, by letting them know that it is the grace of God that allows us not to be in a similar situation, not building ourselves up as righteous or holy above them and looking down upon them in the state that they're in, but simply saying that it's the grace of God that has allowed me to grow out of the place in which I was just like you, dead in my sin, with nothing that I could do on my own until the grace of God awoke in my heart, until his spirit became active in my life and allowed me to regain and restore the relationship that God desires to have with me so that I can live in accordance to his plans and in accordance to the way in which he's created me to be a part of his plan for extending the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so when we look at that here in this chapter, that's something really important for us to be reminded of as we seek to live out the gospel around us. Whatever your circumstance looks like, there are people who are on a daily basis, most likely seeing you who don't have a relationship with the Lord, you have the opportunity to graciously speak to them about the gospel, to be graciously living in their presence, to be allowing yourself to put aside your own selfish desires so that instead the gospel can be put on display for their sake. And that's a huge ask of the gospel. That's a huge focus of what it means to be a redeemed believer is to live in light of that truth for those around you so that they can be constantly drawn to the presence of the gospel by the aroma that your life leads out. And so I hope that that's something that's encouraging and challenging for us as we think about that today, as we reflect on the opportunity that we have to display grace, to display truth, and to display compassion to those around us so that we can answer the questions those around us might have for the sake of the gospel. When we think about questions from this passage, one of the things that is commonly asked is looking down here to especially verse 16, where we see that there is a letter that is written to the church of Laodicea. Where is that letter? What is that letter's contents? How will we learn what Paul wrote to them? These are really good questions for us to ask. 
When we look into this, we could see that some people believe that this letter was actually the letter that we have as the book of Ephesians. Some of the early manuscripts don't use the word Ephesus that's in there in verse 1 of chapter 1, but instead have those words omitted. Others believe that it could be some other letter, and I'd really like for us to focus on that aspect of this, because it's a common question that people would ask. What would happen if we came up with a letter that seems like it's from Paul that's not necessarily in our scriptures already? How would we relate to that? This was a question I really wrestled with in seminary, thinking about the fact that if God has divinely inspired Paul to write these different letters, what happens if we find another one? Do we need to elevate that to the level of the scriptures? Do we need to seek that out, study that, look at that, and teach it the same way that we teach the rest of God's truth? The answer to that is no. When we look at what we have in the scriptures, we have what God has intended for us to have in the books of the Bible, the 66 that we already have. That doesn't mean that other authors of Scripture, Paul most likely wrote many other letters. We could have other letters from Peter or James or John or many of the other disciples could have written things as well. We could have those types of letters come to us and they're not to be elevated to the same facet of what we have in Scripture. And so when they put the Scriptures together, they had tests that were able to form what it was that was important about them and how they were valid and how they had the credentials of the individuals who were there, that they spoke about the specifics and did not contradict with other things in the scriptures. Because we have many other writings from the time that other people wrote trying to get them into the mainstream Christianity at that time and spreading different views, spreading different beliefs false teachings even, that were in other scriptures. And some of those have been restored for us, and we have access to them. And we can read and see the way in which they have many different aspects that are in contradiction to the scriptures. All that to say, we know there were many other writings in the time that the Bible was written, but God has given us these 66. And if we found another letter from Paul, it might give us a little bit more clarity about a specific descriptive event that took place. But it's not necessarily true that everything that Paul writes is divinely inspired. There could be other letters that were personal letters that went out to other people. There could be other letters even to the churches that would have had other things that he was dealing with that were descriptive in nature that in God's sovereignty he's chosen not to have for us in the scriptures that we now have. Paul was not divinely inspired to write at every time but his writings that we have in the scriptures were. The other authors who wrote scripture were not divinely inspired in all of their writings, yet only in the ones that we have maintained in our scriptures. And so that's something to just wrestle with a little bit. I know that that was something that I really had to wrestle through and to think through what would happen if we found these other things, especially when I learned about things like the Qumran scrolls and other archaeological discoveries that have taken place in Israel and the Middle East. It's important for us to look at those and to see how they enhance our understanding of Scripture, but we should not be looking for further explanations of God for things that He is going to give us in terms of new revelations or other things that we need to add to our Scriptures. And so as you think about that, as you think about the different things in this passage that you might have questions, 
with. As always, seek out answers to that question. If you need greater understanding or clarity given, continue to look for those things. Search for those answers, because as you do, you're developing your ability to understand God's word in a greater sense, and that will allow you to be more prepared for, as we talked about today, to be graciously using your speech in your life, to be seasoning that today for the people around you who need to see and hear the gospel. And as you do that, know you are loved. You're